But good morning, Mandy Bible Church. My name is Pastor Mark Hazen. Delighted to be with you this morning and leading you in the Word of God. Trust that you've had a good Thanksgiving week, time ex- with extended family. As I mentioned uh, to you uh, last Sunday morning, it's been a bit of a heavy week for us as our family. I shared with you last Sunday morning, I had the funeral for my uncle last on this past Monday. And uh, so family gathered together for, uh, for that. And then uh, yesterday morning, my father passed away. And so we'll have another funeral Well, we'll have a burial this week and then a memorial service that will take place at some point later. And so we've uh, we've had a bit of heaviness, but we've also had uh, quite a reminder, if you will, in a very real way of the merciful and powerful God that we have who raises the dead. We just sang about that this morning, and, uh, but God raises the dead. Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and uh, His resurrection guarantees and secures our own resurrection. And so as God's people, we're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. You need to think that through. As God's people, I've got a whole other message this morning. We've got a text to deal with, but uh, as God's people, those of us who have been joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we're not looking forward to dying and going to heaven. Now, the sting of death has been removed, and there's no fear of death, but we're not looking forward to dying and going to heaven. We're looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to the resurrection of the body and the reunion of all of God's people from all of the ages and the reward of being with God in a renewed heaven and earth for all eternity. That's what we're looking forward to. We sang about it this morning. Not looking forward to dying and going to heaven. Again, not afraid of dying. The sting of death has been removed in Jesus Christ who defeated death and sin in his own body. But man, we can't wait. Our hope is in Jesus. And Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, our loved ones in Christ who've passed before us will be returning with him. And their bodies will be raised from the grave. The graves will be empty. And in a resurrected body, they will stand before God and have the reward of being with him for all eternity. That's what we're looking forward to. So we'll deal with that message sometime later, maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but this morning we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, We've been making our way through this letter together, a a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and uh, we have been uh, slowly making our way through this, and uh, this morning our text is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through uh, 17, so I'd ask you to turn there. And, uh, And as you go there, let's briefly look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll press into our message for this morning. Heavenly Father, we're delighted to gather together as your people and to be reminded of all that you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Again, though we were sinners and separated from you, you loved us, and you loved us personally and powerfully and set your affection upon us by sending the Lord Jesus Christ. And he in humility came, and he served us, and he lived sinlessly, and he died sacrificially. He died in our place. The punishment, the judgment, the condemnation that we deserve, Jesus himself took upon his own body. He took on sin and death and defeated it victoriously through his resurrection. And Father, we look forward in faith to the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the body and being with you for all eternity in a renewed heaven and earth, a home of righteousness where sin and death will be no more. Oh, Father, we look forward to it. Father, we pray that you take your word this morning and this text that is before us. I pray that you continue to instruct us, teaching us how to live 
in your presence today as we live on this earth. And so guide and direct our thoughts, give us an attention upon you and your word this morning, and continue your work in our lives through the power of your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we even look at the text, got a few questions to get our minds going this morning. Have you ever felt peace about a particular decision that you've made, and that peace that you feel, that inner peace that you feel, kind of settles you and establishes you and somehow just gives you the knowledge that you know that you have made the right decision? On the other hand, have you ever felt peace about a particular decision, and it just kind of settled you and established you, and you feel peace about it, and then the outcome of that decision becomes a real disaster? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, we probably have experienced them both. Uh, On the other hand, what about feeling unsettled? Have you ever felt unsettled and restless about a particular decision, and even though you're unsettled and restless about it, you just know that you've made the right decision? You just know that's the path you are to take. It goes along with open doors. Have you ever experienced an open door? And you just know that's the door that you're to go through. Have you ever experienced an open door and you're like, that's not the door to take. It's an open door, but going down that door, going down that path would be a real disaster. Uh, Have you ever thrown a shoulder into the door? There's a door there, and you're like, that's the door to go through. And it seems closed, but I'm, I'm going to kick that door down. Well, inner peace and open doors are wonderful, and we've probably all experienced them and maybe even used the terminology, which is fine. But while peace, inner peace, and open doors are wonderful, they're not ultimate as it relates to making decisions and setting our direction because we know that we can have peace about the wrong things. And we also know that we can go through open doors that would lead us down wrong roads. And we can have peace about good things, and we can have open doors toward good things as well. But if open doors and inner peace, they're not ultimate determiners in our decision-making, what is? What would overrule our thoughts, our feelings, our impulses as it relates to the direction of our life and the decisions that we make day by day? Well, from this biblical text that we're going to examine this morning, we're going to be reminded of a bigger reality for our life decisions and our life actions, something that's bigger than inner peace and open doors. And we're going to see it as the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he tells them about a change of agenda and decisions that he was making. And from that knowledge of how he's making his decisions and what's leading him along, we're going to learn from him and hopefully draw some lines from his life into our very own. Now, from the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and we have two of them in our Bible, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we know from reading these letters there's, there's more letters, because in 2 Corinthians we read about a letter that preceded this one that Paul continually refers to. But there are these letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and in those letters we know that Paul had communicated to the Corinthians his schedule, his calendar, his agenda. And we also know from reading the letters that they were on his agenda, Paul had planned to come and visit them. He was was going their way, and he was going to spend some time with them. But in reading the letters, we become aware of the fact that his schedule had been interrupted and his plans had changed. What a bummer. Undoubtedly, some of the Corinthians would have been understanding of the change of plans as extenuating circumstances led to those change of plans. But there are others in the church that were critical of Paul. And instead of giving him the benefit of the doubt... They become critical of his character, and they call him unreliable and fickle and unfaithful and not trustworthy. So some people in the Corinthian church, they they would have been understanding. Some people would have been critical of Paul. Others would have been just genuinely wondering, 
How does this guy establish his calendar? How does he run his agenda? Does he have an administrative assistant? Does she need any drugs, any medicine to keep him on track? Or is she, what's up with her? Well, with that backdrop in mind, let's return to the letter that Paul has written, and let's look specifically at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12, as he readdresses these change of plans that have come into his life. Paul addresses these change of plans multiple times in this letter. Apparently, it was a big deal. This is the second time we've read of it. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, he says this, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went into Macedonia. So Paul, if you've got a, a map in your mind, Paul was located in what is now modern Turkey. Uh, he traveled to Troas, which was a seaport town in the west on the Aegean Sea. There at Troas, he was to rendezvous with Titus, who had been sent down to Corinth to do some ministry there, and Titus was traveling back to where Paul was, and Paul was waiting for him. It's quite possible that Titus may have missed the last boat out of Corinth. Winter came early. Something happened, but he missed the last boat out of Troas that was going to Corinth, and so Titus is going to have to walk along through Macedonia to get to Paul. This change of agenda and this delayed arrival of Titus is unsettling Paul. And so Paul leaves Troas and begins to make the land route, and he's hoping to connect with Titus somewhere in Macedonia. Paul tells us here in the letter that his purpose while he was in Troas, while he's waiting there for Titus, his purpose is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that's not surprising because that's Paul's purpose everywhere he went. That's just what Paul did. Paul had been commissioned by God to spread the good news of the glory of the blessed God who mercifully reconciles sinners unto himself through the powerful work of Jesus Christ. Paul is proclaiming that message everywhere he traveled. God, through Christ, was reconciling the world to himself. And those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, God's provision for their atonement, would be forgiven of their sin and positively transferred into Jesus' kingdom. So Paul is in Troas communicating that. He tells us in the letter that he experienced an open door. Great opportunity. He has an open door for ministry in Troas, but while he's there, he's restless. He's not at all at peace because Titus wasn't there. So he leaves that open door of ministry and he travels on into Macedonia. The open door wasn't enough to keep him. And the restlessness drove him forward in his travels. In other words, he had an open door, but he didn't have peace. Uh, the letter tells us that Paul leaves Troas, Troas, he goes into Macedonia. What does he experience in Macedonia? Does he find the peace there? Does he find rest and assurance? No, not at all. We know what Paul experienced in Macedonia because he tells us a little later in the letter. And you can look forward in your Bibles to chapter 7, verse 5. He tells us what happens to him in Macedonia. He doesn't experience peace. He experiences no rest, increased affliction, fighting without, and fear within. Well, how about that open door? <laughs> in Macedonia, he experienced no rest, afflictions, fightings, and fear. But he did experience the comfort of God. Because he gets there and he's comforted by God through the arrival of Titus. 
And we see that in chapter 7, verse 5. I'll read it for you if you've not already turned there. Chapter 7, verse 5, he said, For even when we came into Macedonia, we left Troas, came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, that'd be Paul, anxious about the church in Corinth, anxious about his friend Titus, whom he's waiting to rendezvous with and waiting. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So here we read, Paul left an open door because he didn't have peace there because Titus wasn't there. He pushes through the door into Macedonia. And when he pushes through the door into Macedonia, he experiences more restlessness, affliction, external persecutions, and internal fears. So the move didn't settle his restlessness or give him peace. It actually increased his difficulty. I wonder if he wondered if he made the right decision. But while in Macedonia, he did meet Titus, and God comforted him, giving him an abiding comfort unattached to his difficult circumstances. So we're reading this letter. In all of these movements... In all of these decisions that Paul is making, a movement to Troas, and then from Troas, and into Macedonia, and all these decisions, the question can be raised, what's directing Paul's life? What's moving him along? Is it just open doors and closed doors and restlessness and peace? How, how is he making his decisions? How is he being led along? Well, we're going to discover there's something greater here than open doors and inner peace that is determining his direction and his behaviors. Well, what is it? Look at verse 14, where we left off. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So in other words, Paul is not aimlessly wandering around Asia and Europe, going from place to place by his own personal whims. And he's not being directed, if you will, by internal feelings of peace or external open doors. He has freedom to make decisions. And he's making those decisions. He made the decision to go to Troas. He made the decision to leave Troas. He made the decision to go into Macedonia. Paul has freedom to make decisions, but in his decision-making process, he is captive to his calling. And God is leading Paul. He says here that God is leading him in a victory parade behind victorious Jesus. And as Paul travels everywhere, he's spreading the aroma of the good news, of the glory of the blessed God who mercifully saved sinners unto himself through the work of Jesus Christ, our resurrected Savior. The fragrance from Paul is rising up to God. And the fragrance, the aroma of Jesus, is spreading everywhere Paul travels. That aroma, according to Paul, is the fragrance of life to some. It is the fragrance of death to others. Some are being saved through the preaching of the gospel. Others are perishing. 
So this ministry that God is directing, that God is leading, and this message that Paul is communicating everywhere he travels, it is so powerful. This aroma is so powerful. This fragrance is so powerful that it is literally dividing humanity. And this is bigger than what Paul can accomplish. He's inadequate for what he's doing. He is insufficient. But his sufficiency is from God. We see that in chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So Paul is not a huckster peddling the message of the gospel for money like so many others do. No, he's a sincere minister of the gospel, and as he spreads the message, he spreads the aroma of Christ everywhere he goes. His reward isn't money. His reward is God and pleasing God, and his reward is those people who take God at his word and believe the message of the gospel. So here's the point. This reality... This foundation for Paul's life direction and life decisions is bigger than open doors and peaceful, easy feelings. Paul is making decisions, but as he's making his decisions, he is not straying from his purpose. God is leading him along. God is leading him along in a victory parade behind the champion, Jesus. And as Paul is being led along, he is the aroma of Christ to God. God is pleased with the aroma. He's also the aroma or the fragrance of Christ in this world. And that doesn't change no matter if his schedule or his location or his agenda does change. That's going to be consistent. You know, in the time of writing this letter, the triumphal procession that Paul writes about would have been very common, very well known among the audience that he is writing to. The triumphal procession would have been victory parades that conquering military heroes or generals would have received when they come back from war and they come into Rome and, and there's this great, after they've squelched the rebellion, after they expanded the empire, they'd come back into Rome and there would be this great triumphal procession with people cheering on their conquering hero. These triumphal processions would have been somewhat like our Super Bowl parades. You know, we have a Super Bowl Sunday, and, and there's a team that wins. And then after that victory, that team goes back to their hometown. And in their hometown, there's, the, there's a parade, and there's a band, and there's cheerleaders, and there's broadcasters, and they're all pointing attention to the victors and declaring their praises. Well, Paul is using this illustration to communicate that he, having been joined to Jesus Christ his victorious champion, he is now being led along in a victory parade proclaiming the glory of the risen Christ. And everywhere that parade takes him, God is leading him. Paul changes the metaphor from a triumphal entry to a fragrant, uh, a fragrant offering, if you will, or spreading fragrance. Several years ago, my, uh, my lovely wife, uh, Lynn, um, she bought me a really heavy... Uh, polar fleece uh, bathrobe. And uh, she bought this a number of years ago, and, and I've discovered that she really, really, really likes the bathrobe because she wears it every day. 
She has it on every morning. She has it on every evening. She loves that bathrobe. If you were to grab that bathrobe, it wouldn't smell like me. It's going to smell like her. The followers of Jesus, who have been joined to Jesus by pledging their faith in him, they are the aroma of Christ to God. God loves the smell. He's made them new creations. So the people who have pledged their faith into Jesus Christ, they are the aroma of Christ to God, and they are the fragrance of Christ in the world. And it doesn't matter if it's Troas or Corinth or Macedonia. It also doesn't matter if it's Saginaw, Bay City, or Midland. If you have been joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to spread a fragrance. Metaphorically, you're going to smell different. And so when you head into your schools or you head into your places of work or you head, well, take a walk in the neighborhood, if you will, you, you, you're going to smell different. And you don't have to lead a Bible study for you to stand out. It's something that God is going to do. Your fragrance is pleasing to God. Your fragrance will be divisive to humanity. Some are going to like the smell and be attracted to it and through it be attracted to Christ. Others are going to hate the smell. Paul says here, the fragrance for some will lead to life. To others, the fragrance will leave them in death. So through us, God is leading us along in a triumphal procession behind victorious Jesus. And as we follow King Jesus, we are the fragrance of, God to, we are the fragrance of Christ to God and the fragrance of Christ in the world. And that fragrance is dividing humanity which is more than we can do. We are inadequate for that ministry. We are insufficient for that ministry. But God makes us sufficient as he makes us ministers of the new covenant. So in this letter, while open doors and peaceful feelings or restlessness is acknowledged as influential, Paul knows what that's like. Paul knows what it is to have an open door of ministry and to have great opportunities in front of him. Paul knows what it's like to be restless in his heart and to be driven along by that restlessness. Paul knows what it's like to have peace and to be driven along by that peace. So while open doors and peace or restlessness is acknowledged as influential, it is not ultimate, and it doesn't carry the weight of being led along by God in a victory parade where the fragrance of him is being spread everywhere. And this is Paul's experience. And this is what he's communicating to the Corinthian church as they're wondering about his change of plans. Some are critical. Some are just curious. Some give Paul the benefit of the doubt. You know, as I was uh, studying through this passage as you were this past week and reading through it and, and reading through a number of commentators, one commentator used the illustration of Frodo Baggins in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So those of you who are familiar with The Lord of the Rings, if you've watched the movies or read the books, you'd be familiar with that. Uh, Frodo Baggins is the hobbit in the movie. And uh, as you watch the films or read the books, Frodo Baggins seems to be driven along from place to place through danger and changing circumstances. And, and you're not sure where he might have to run next. And you're not even sure if he's going to survive. But even while it may seem as though Frodo is running from place to place, his calling and his purpose remain unchanged. Frodo's going to Mordor because he's going to destroy evil by destroying the ring. 
He's not just aimlessly wandering about. He's going somewhere specific, and he has a specific task to accomplish, and everything is directed toward that end. Well, as we read this letter, Paul understood his mission, and Paul understood his task, and he made decisions within that context. His location might change. His schedule might face alterations, but the integrity of his calling and his purpose remain unchanged. Uh, for those of us today, because of the presses and pulls of various obligations, and because of the tensions of constantly competing objectives, you and I need the reminder from passages like this one that reminders of our ultimate calling and our ultimate purpose. Joined to God through faith in Jesus Christ, we are being led along, being led along in a victory parade behind our conquering hero. And as we're being led along, we are spreading the fragrance of him everywhere. Through us, God is spreading the aroma of himself that glorifies him and divides people. And we are inadequate for that task. But God makes us adequate and sufficient by his grace. So do you have a, do you have a clear sense? A clear sense of your calling? A clear sense of your purpose? Uh, several years ago as a church, we did quite an extended study of what, what's God's intention for his people? What's God's intention for his gathered people? What is our purpose? And we came up with a statement, and we say this statement regularly here at Emmanuel, but let me repeat it again this morning. We came up with a statement that says, our purpose and our passion is to bring God pleasure by believing his word and doing his will in the power that he provides us for the praise of his glory on earth and in heaven. So we know what we are for. We are for pleasing God. We are for taking God at his word. We are for doing God's word as we believe God and God provides us the power to do what he asks us to do. And we are all for God's global and heavenly recognition. Because we know we are for that, we know what we are against. We know our Mordor. We are against displeasing God through unbelief and disobedience, driven along by self-reliance and self-exaltation. So we have a clear vision of our calling and our mission. Our location might change. Our schedule might be altered. Our plans interrupted. Believe me, my plans have been interrupted for the last two weeks, <laughs> and they will be this week. Things that weren't on my calendar are now on my calendar. Our location might change, our schedule might be altered, our plans interrupted, we might walk through open doors, we might not walk through open doors, we might push down doors that aren't open, we might have peace, we might have restlessness, our circumstances might change, but what doesn't change is God, who leads us along behind King Jesus and spreads the fragrance of Jesus everywhere we go. And through that... People are drawn to God through Christ. And through that, people resist the gospel and are pushed away. And we are inadequate for that ministry. We can't carry that weight. But God makes us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. That's where we're going next week because Paul continues in this very context and speaks more of the sufficiency that he has from God through Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we'll look at that next Sunday morning. Let me, uh, my time is spent. Let me, uh, let me close in prayer.
Uh, matter of fact, next week, before we do that, next week is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the entire chapter, and so a little longer portion than most. But let, uh, let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this reminder from the Scripture, this reminder that for those who have been joined to you through Jesus, you're active in their life, you're present in their life, and through seasons of peace and through seasons of restlessness, through changes of schedule and agenda, you remain consistent and faithful and merciful and powerful. And you are doing a work through clay pots like us, through weak vessels, you are doing a work in the world of broadcasting your own glory and broadcasting the glory of your risen Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we, we take great comfort and confidence in this. And Father, we are grateful that you who began the work in us, making us new creations, you'll carry it through to completion. We're grateful for that. Father, I pray that you continue to use your word as we study it and read it together to just continue to bless and benefit our lives as we desire to follow behind Jesus and point people to him. May we do this with the effectiveness that you supply us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.